Welcome to Talking Facts, what you need to know about family, food, finance, and fitness. This nationally recognized, award-winning podcast is hosted by the University of Kentucky Family and Consumer Sciences Extension Program. Our educators share research knowledge with individuals, families, and communities to improve quality of life. Hello, and welcome to Talking Facts, what you need to know about family, food, finance, and fitness. I'm your host, Mindy McCulley, Extension Specialist for Instructional Support at the University of Kentucky. My guest today is Dr. Alex Ellswick, Extension Specialist for Substance Use Prevention and Recovery. Welcome, Alex. Thanks for having me, Mindy. So when you shared the topic for today, addiction and COVID, my mind went to about a thousand different places, and I imagine that there has been a marked change in incidence rates of addiction in the past year and a half. Is that right? Yeah, no doubt. Your your mind went to a thousand different places because there were a thousand different consequences uh, of, of the pandemic on addiction. So tell us a little bit about addiction and COVID. Yeah, I think it's helpful to start actually by sort of taking the landscape prior to COVID. So if you remember before any of us even knew what a coronavirus was and were even thinking about those things, we were already in the midst of an opioid epidemic. We had already been kind of on a 20-year journey to 2018 when we had, or 2017 when we had the record year of the highest number of overdoses, which was like 75,000 overdoses, give or take, um, overdose deaths. And, you know, we thought that was a year that could never be rivaled. So already things were in really bad shape and our, our whole public health infrastructure was already really stressed. And then the pandemic came on top of that. And so, like you said, there have been numerous impacts. And I figure we could talk about a number of them. One in particular that is really important for people in addiction and recovery is just social connection. Okay. You just know that, you know, predominantly the way that people in recovery get support by going to support groups and by being around people who are like them, who have shared experiences and who can really give them the support that they need. But at a time when we can't meet in person, that was really disruptive. And we were really concerned with what impacts that would have. I'll tell you that the silver lining of that, I think, has been kind of the development of all these online resources. Okay. A lot of meetings, you know, we know at UK, all of our meetings went through Zoom. And the same thing happened with a lot of support groups who took advantage of online platforms like Zoom and started to um, connect that way. And and people are continuing to do that even after the pandemic. I I think that we sometimes forget the silver linings, don't we? But it is important to recognize that that is a great way for people to connect. We do. It's it's kind of, it's always the, the stress and the hard times that push some kind of innovation. And similarly, um, a lot of people before the pandemic were having trouble getting access to medications that help people who are addicted to opioids. The pandemic, the, some restrictions were relaxed, and now actually more people are getting access because of that. So yeah, there is there is some silver lining, but it, it sort of pales in comparison to the, the devastation that we saw. Oh, yes, I can imagine. So tell us some other impacts that we have seen from Yeah, so you also have to remember that people who use drugs or people in in addiction and recovery are really vulnerable in a number of different ways. So first of all, they're physically vulnerable. They're really likely to be immunocompromised. We heard a lot from the CDC about if you're 
older in age, if you are obese, if you're a person who smokes, that these are all serious risk factors for contracting and dying of, uh, or experiencing severe complications from COVID. And those are really common among people in recovery, right? Smoking rates are really high among people who are addicted to other drugs. And early on in China, they saw that the case fatality rate for men was almost three times higher than for women. And part of the reason for that is because nearly or more than 50% of men in China smoke and only about 3% of women smoke. Okay. So really COVID had a really big de- devastating impact on people who smoke, which is a big concern in the recovery community. And then on top of that, people early in recovery are really sensitive to stress. And there's kind of a long list of complicated explanations of, of what's happening in the brain and the body, but Long story short, it basically um, makes you very sensitive to stress. And so minor things that maybe you and I would be able to kind of bear and work through in our in, in our daily life can be really big barriers for people early in recovery. Well, and I think as the pandemic prolonged, that made it harder for everyone to deal with the, the stress that we weren't used to having to deal with. And so having an addiction or a substance use issue in your life already. And then having that compounded just had to make things worse. Right. That's right. That's actually, that's pretty well said because I think, you know, in many ways addictions begin as a coping mechanism. So if people already have, you know, their drug use at their disposal as a way to cope, then when coronavirus hit and they were forced indoors and into isolation, it really makes sense that people, began using drugs at a higher rate. And that's not that's true not only of people who are addicted, but it's really true of all of us in the general population. Alcohol sales soared during the pandemic. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, we might have made light of day drinking and things like that, but they really were concerns. Well, it's exactly right. We have like something in the order of 14 or 15 million people who are addicted to alcohol and addicted in the sense that they're physically dependent. And if they don't have a drink of alcohol today, they're going to go into physical withdrawals that threaten their life. So 15 million people had to have access to alcohol. And so that's why even as virtually every kind of store was shut down during COVID, we had to keep some liquor stores open. And a lot of people criticized that and said, well, that's silly. People don't need alcohol right now. But from a public health perspective, we actually did prevent 15 million people from descending on emergency departments with alcohol withdrawals. Sure. And those are things that probably never even crossed most people's minds, especially if you aren't somebody who is dependent on alcohol. Well, I mean, I work in this field every day and it really hadn't crossed my mind what what an impact it would have when everything is shut down. It's really something you don't imagine. Well, and yeah, I mean, it was unprecedented. We had not ever experienced anything like that. Right. So what are some other things that have come out of COVID? Another big one is, is economics. So addiction affects is kind of an equal opportunity offender across race and across so- socioeconomic status. Right. But certainly people who are lower SES and have less resources, less money, uh, less opportunities are particularly vulnerable. And I, I collected some data at a treatment center in Lexington just before COVID. So in January of 2020. Okay. And among that sample, there was really low income on average, really high unemployment, and a lot of housing insecurity. And all of that was before COVID. So then you can imagine the added impact of people losing jobs, not being able to get employment, not being able to get regular income. And then actually, even on top of all that, it's just so many things. It's such a cascade of of things. But 
We saw, then you had the stimulus checks. Right. So you had people who are experiencing economic hardship, who have addictions, who are desperate for money. And then we gave $1,200 stimulus and there was a, a spike in overdoses following the issue of those stimulus checks. It's really a quandary, really a difficult situation to try to figure out. It's like the perfect storm of everything that could go wrong happening. And here we are. Then all of a sudden you have this quick hit of money and it makes other things so much more available, right? It does. It is It is a perfect storm. And ultimately, and, and you know, it's not just drug overdoses, although that's been the focus. It's also alcohol-related deaths where we okay. saw an increase and, and suicide. What put together... Okay alcohol-related deaths, suicide, and, and overdose, we call deaths of despair. And I think that's a fitting term for what a lot of people experience, the, the despair and the desperation through COVID. So ultimately where that led us was the CDC just released some data on 2020 as a whole. And we saw something like 93,000 or 95,000 overdoses in 2020, which surpassed the previous record by almost 20,000 overdoses. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So that is incredibly impactful, isn't it? It is. It is a bad year. And predominantly that was caused by a spike in the, the initial three or four months, like March, April, May. There's huge increase in emergency department visits and ambulatory runs for, for overdose. Um, and th- those levels have somewhat lo- leveled off, which I suppose is also a sil- silver lining, but really the rates are, are enormously too high at the moment. Oh, yeah. And I'm sure that people in those communities who are seeing all of these situations coming together and then don't see any way out and not seeing the level of support that people who had COVID might have been experiencing might have just really felt doubly impacted. I think that's it. Yeah, I think it's addiction's hard enough when you experience addiction in a vacuum and you have no other problems in your life. But right. when you can't be around your tribe and you can't be with the people who, who you need for support, you're really suffering on your own. And I think not only were people suffering on their own through COVID, but I think they still are. We still aren't, I, you know, we still don't shake hands. I still notice when I interact with people, I'm hesitant to stick out my hand where I never right. was before. There's still an element of that, even post-pandemic. Well, and we also, you know, we're talking about moving back into masking, and it's so hard to see people's, I guess, level of concern just through their eyes. But, yes, you know, I, I can just imagine how difficult that might be, even if you're, you just need some connection. Um, well, that was my concern, kind of as a therapist, too, with the move to telehealth and teletherapy. And I wondered if people would be able to enjoy the same kind of support through, you know, online right. mm-hmm. get in person. But to my surprise, a lot of people have expressed, some people have even said that they like it better. A lot of people who have anxiety maybe and, and don't feel interacting with people said, it's a great way for me to get the support I need without having to feel unsafe out in public. Sure. Yeah, I I can understand how that might be. And you can interact on Zoom without a mask on and not have to worry about that. So you do get the whole face reinforcement, I guess, is a good way to put it. I don't know. Yes. You need to see smile lines, don't you? Yes. Yes. Yes, indeed. Well, Alex, are there other important points that we need to, to bring out before we wrap up? 
I think before we wrap up, the last thing I would say is just offer some of those resources that not only if, if you're a person in recovery, if you're a family member of someone in recovery or someone in addiction, that just because the world has stalled a bit doesn't mean that, that your recovery process has to stall. And so there are lots of resources online. I would just encourage you to go to Google. I think it's the fastest thing to do and, and, and find some of those resources. Also, just because we're in the midst of an overdose crisis, I would say if you or a loved one has been prescribed opioids, you need to get a prescription for Narcan and have that on hand. Even if you have a loved one who is taking opioids and they're not addicted, it's just necessary right. to have that on hand. It's the safest thing we can do right now to, to keep our loved ones alive. And you never know when you might use it, even if it's not somebody that lives in your home, right? You might That's right. You never know. Alex, thanks for having this really important discussion with me today, because I do know that we need to really highlight how the COVID pandemic has impacted so many people in the um, addiction and recovery community. No doubt. Thank you, Mindy. And if you are joining us for the first time, you have been listening to Talking Facts. We are available on all major podcast providers. Thank you for listening to Talking Facts. We deliver programs focusing on nutrition, health, resource management, family development, and civic engagement. If you enjoyed today's podcast, have a question or a show topic idea, leave a like and a comment on Facebook at UKFCSEXT. Or send us an email at UKFCSEXT at UKY.edu. Visit us online at fcs.uky.edu to learn more about the University of Kentucky Family and Consumer Sciences Extension Program or contact your local extension agent for family and consumer sciences. We build strong families. We build Kentucky. It starts with us.